Hey, Story Show podcast listeners. This is Angie Zoller-Barker. And Jeremy Corey Greenis. Yay, we did it. We did it. We're, it's opposite day. We here. flipped it. This <laughs> is the script and it has been flipped. <laughs> now, you kind of, I should have known you were going to do this. I don't like to do the last name, but you made me by doing I know, it's hard not to yeah. when you go second, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to follow the lead. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, here we are, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so we are at our second-to-last story, yeah, right? And we'll be hearing that in a bit, but some reminders about the upcoming show. Beautiful. Our show is January 2nd, 12th. <laughs> <laughs> January, January 12th. 12th. Yeah, yeah. Uh, January 12th, Saturday, at uh, the Marion Ross Performing Arts Center. Uh, you can get tickets at actonbroadway.com or... You can get them from Jeremy and I, or from any of our upcoming storytellers. Which we know, but we are not releasing just yet. Mm -mm. Why, you might ask? Ooh, so many good reasons. Well, we're still negotiating with a couple over terms of the agreement and Mm -hmm. appearing on the story show and subsequent residuals. Um, Actually, none of that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to let you just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But we, we're going to wait till next week, our final mm-hmm. podcast of season three, to announce the lineup because we can. Yeah. yeah. We have the power. See, we do have power. We do. Hey, we, do. we didn't think we had any. <laughs> right, right. Dang, we get nice. to decide. Yeah. Um, but our, our featured story for this episode comes from Luz Ruiz. Um, Former Albertly High School. Yeah, student. graduated last year, is a freshman at Gustavus Adolphus College, mm-hmm. St. Peter, Minnesota. Uh, I just saw Louise a couple of weeks ago, and so did you. Yeah, she was here for the alumni panel. Yeah, so we have a couple of teachers. Angie is one mm-hmm. um, who asks students. We just have two at the building, that's right, it. Right, right. Just two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> Therese Netzer is the other teacher I'm thinking of who asks uh, students to come back uh, the day before Thanksgiving and, and talk about what their experience was like first semester out at college. And it's really a highlight. Students feel honored to be asked and uh, and the juniors and seniors who listen to them speak are are pretty tuned in because this is real stuff. Weirdly, they listen to them more than they listen to us. This is a recurring theme that comes up that (laughs) that kids listen to kids more than adults, especially their parents. Mm-hmm. And teachers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think a little bit like the kids uh, are there now. You know what I mean? And we, a lot of times, our experiences were way back in the day. Right. We had to walk to college uphill. Yeah, both, both ways. ways. Yep. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's a great thing. And she was back. She was in the building a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, good to see her. Came in and had had lunch with me. Um, I don't think she ate. I ate. Uh, and it <laughs> she was, watched you eat lunch. <laughs> she, she watched me eat lunch, but she filled me in on stuff. And, she, man, she is just making the most of her experience at Gustavus. Which is what her story is about, right? Like, stopping, you know, stopping yourself from, like, not doing all that you should, from letting your light shine and allowing the people around you to shadow or silence things that you want to express right and uh and her story was so powerful um and yeah and, and about political speech or expressing your political views and we we do these things directly and indirectly and we might not realize that when we're doing that um it can be 
pretty intimidating to those around us. And we just had never really know what every what what the whole story is with folks, right? Yeah. And I, I love that she w- was reflective enough to say, like, this was a missed opportunity and took the stage to, like, write something that she felt was wronged. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd had Lou's in class the previous year, and she wrote about some pretty important stuff, and I knew she was courageous, but I I didn't know she had this kind of courage and yeah. until... She wrote the story and and was willing to stand up and and give it. And this was, I think this was maybe a first. Um, Do you remember how long the applause went on? Yeah. Yeah. And I think people wanted to stand, but she wasn't the last speaker, so they weren't. (laughs) But, uh, wow. We stood in our hearts. We did. We did. But it was the longest applause I think we've ever had. And it was just just wonderful. So thank you, Luz, for Mm -hmm. having the guts to do this. Without further ado, this is Luz Ruiz and Unspoken Light. Enjoy. Luz Ruiz is like Hannah Montana. She lives a double life. At school, Luz is dumped by her friends as the teacher's pet. She is respectful, timely, and always has an ear-to-ear smile to shine. All she was missing was the red apple on the desk. But at home, Luz is infamously known as the brat. Her favorite pastime includes playing semi-civil pranks on her little sister, Maria, much like Jim and Dwight from The Office. And she hates to admit, but this is probably the number one thing that Luz will miss when she leaves for college this fall. This is unspoken light by Luz Ruiz. I didn't really want to see what was behind that door. I didn't really want to be in class that day. I had seen a couple of them walking by, by me throughout the day, proudly sporting those shirts. But in class, I knew I was gonna be trapped by them. Now at the classroom door of honors history, I numbly forced my hand to slowly and cautiously pull the door and saw what I had feared. There, an army of navy blue t-shirts awaited. Almost all the boys in the back row were restless and pompously talking about the upcoming election while sporting Make America Great Again t-shirts. My face immediately boiled red but all the feeling in my body fled, and I just stood there, frozen. Two years ago, in the months surrounding the 2016 election, I felt uneasy going to school. Every day I was tormented with the possibility that the topic would be brought up, or that a classmate would make an ignorant, racist comment. And in truth, it did happen frequently and I just felt forced to look down as if apologizing for my presence there and tried my best to ignore it. Because two years ago, I was afraid that my classmates were going to figure out who I really was or what I really was. Two years ago, I still tried to keep a part of my identity, a part of my story hidden in the dark. 
We're given the impression in our history classes that America solved its racism problems over 50 years ago during the Civil Rights Movement. But that's not true. Many Americans primarily associate the word racism with images of men in white robes and white pointy hats lighting houses and crosses on fire. Or police officers brutally hosing down black protesters. But racism isn't limited to overt acts of hatred like these. And any targeted minority knows this. As a young Latina woman living in a primarily white community, I noticed that the level of unconscious racism two years ago was at a peak. This was due to the encouragement and coded language of one of the presidential candidates during the 2016 elections. When I walked into my history class that day, the day the MAGA message on those shirts didn't just stand as political attire, to people like me, it was an attack. It was my classmates indirectly telling me, you don't belong here and you're not welcome. Growing up as a minority in a small conservative town in the U.S., I've seen and experienced my share of racism. Most of it has been benign, but still hurtful and still a form of racism, even if it wasn't overt. Whether it's been a white mother giving dirty looks to a minority team player, or the local grocery baker giving my family poor service, I've noticed these subtle acts. But after the 2016 election, the tone changed, and things became a little less subtle. People started talking about America in ways that divided us, separated the U.S. into us and the others. White Americans versus colored Americans, natural borns versus immigrants, the good versus the evil. It didn't come as a surprise when some of the conservative media and some of my classmates began openly suggesting that immigrants aren't worthy of being here, that the first step into making America great again was deporting immigrants. Or as Mr. President likes to say, not people, animals. It was very hard for me not to let these racist criticisms infiltrate too deep into how I define myself as a person. I had to remind myself that it wasn't true. I tried to lay low at school because I was afraid of being classified as the other, the criminal, the evil job stealer. Whenever I would hear my fellow classmates chant in the halls, build that wall, build that wall, as if they were at a certain candidate's rally, I would feel so vulnerable and weak. It was as if they were calling for my families and my immediate deportation or persecution. And when I saw them wearing the MAGA shirts, my body paralyzed. I feared that slogan so much as a Jew would fear swastika. None of my classmates knew my story. So when immigration became a hot topic two years ago, I feared that my truth would be exposed, that I was a so-called lazy immigrant. But these last two years, through mindfulness, I have actually come to realize that none of these, these things that are stereotypically said about immigrants are true. I am proud of my heritage and my work ethic. So here I am letting my light shine on the unknown darkness of an immigrant's world. When I was only five years old, my mom decided to take the risk of escaping the instability, poverty, and crime that heavied Mexico and handed me over to a pair of unknown hands only hoping that she would see me on the other side of the border. It was October 2005 
when my five-month pregnant mother walked through hot and dry 100-degree climates in order to get to the Rio Grande, only to then drag herself across the muddy and strong river current while I rode in a sketchy car with strangers for a couple of nights. Whenever I disclose that I am an immigrant, I am asked if I remember anything about crossing. And even though I was still at the age of still having trouble tying my shoes, I remember lots. I remember the coyotes, which are the people who are paid thousands to help immigrants cross. I remember them telling my mother that fortunately, I wouldn't have to go through the Rio Grande and risk my life. I remember my mother telling me not to be afraid because she promised she would find me again. I remember telling my two terrified two-year-old cousin who crossed with me not to be afraid because I would hold his hand the whole time for every minute, for every day that he was brought from his mom. I remember the coyotes giving us candy to help us go to sleep. I remember arriving to many strange households and riding for several hours in several different vehicles. And I remember my mother burying her sunburned, wet with tears face in my small chest and hugging me tightly after finally being reunited in California, after traveling 2,000 miles apart from each other on that crucially exhausting, long, and uncertain week. Immigrants don't have it as nice in the US as is wrongfully interpreted in the media. We don't take things for free or steal jobs. The many immigrant people I know have worked their entire lives in factories, doing back-breaking work for a very low wage, and even this type of labor in wages is significantly better than the one that Mexico offers for these people. Some immigrant people who are lucky are even able to contribute to the corporate and professional areas of America, but even then, they are made to feel like none of their hard work is valid since they weren't born in America. Immigrants don't have it as nice as some of the media portrays it. They don't live off pensions, they do pay taxes, and the majority aren't criminals. In fact, most of us immigrants have a bright light shining inside of us that is reluctant to shine due to fear. A few weeks before crossing, my mother told me that we would be moving to the US. I was overjoyed because I had heard from my family that if you were a high performing student, you would have high chances of obtaining a college education, which was unrealistic in Mexico. Heck. Even in elementary education for little boys and little girls in Mexico is unrealistic due to the lack of funds that doesn't come from the corrupt government. Shortly after, at just my young age of five, I began working for my American dream, learning English by watching Dora the Explorer. I continued working and learning in America as I perfected my English in kindergarten and first grade, while at the same time learning addition and subtraction with those yellow Lego cubes in math class like the rest of my classmates. And in the next 12 years of my educational career, I placed myself at the top of my academic class by graduating with honors from AP classes and college classes, as a National Honor Society member, as first in my class rank, and with an almost full ride to the state with Adolphus College. I now realize that those, during those Trump chants, I should have stood up for immigrants because I was and am a representation of Hispanic pride in America, which I call my home. Many people who are anti-immigration are under the spell of the division of us and the others, that they fail to see an immigrant's point of view. 
People glom on to negative stereotypes of immigrants to justify their racism and unmindful dehumanization without knowing our true stories, which is why I've been afraid to share mine. And I believe this applies to many immigrants who are helping make, who are helping America, making America a heck of a lot better. We are afraid of being classified as criminals who should be deported back to a country where we have to worry every minute of our lives about how to get food on the table to, to be able to feed a young child's belly. Whether we might be at the wrong place at the wrong time when suddenly a drug cartel has a shootout on pedestrian streets. Whether a desperate stranger will kidnap us and hold us for ransom. Or whether our child will be able to go out and play in the street without becoming the next victim of organ trafficking. As an immigrant, I can tell you all that I feel a hard, sharp sting in my heart when I overhear someone talking about how immigrants should be deported because it's like they're condemning you to hell and silently telling you that your life isn't valuable simply because you were born on the other side of a man-drawn line. Two years ago, I had a fear of my story. This was because I was too ignorant of what it truly means to be an immigrant when I myself was one. I thought it was a dirty word, something to be ashamed of, but I realized it's not. In fact, it defines my and my family's bravery. Even though my birthplace lies many miles away, I understand that I cannot run from my story because I carry a piece of it with me every day, my name. With it, it seemed fitting that I step into the light and shared my story. I hope doing so will shine light onto a matter that so stubbornly continues to remain hidden in the darkness of ignorance. Because what good would a powerful name like mine be if I didn't have the courage to share the background behind it? My name is Luz, in which my native language translates into light. Thank you. The Let Your Light Shine Story Show is produced by Riley Worth, Angie Zola-Barker, and me, Jeremy Corey Greenis. Please check out our webpage at thestoryshow.org and continue listening to our podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Just search for The Story Show in quotes and you should find us. Thanks. Thanks.